You are now in queue to join Game from the Gamers, a podcast where good friends gaming on PS4 talk about life, movies, relationships, other random shit, and, well, obviously, video games. Starring Chad, Garcia, Trey, Xavier, Daryl, and Corey. Let us put you on game. Game from the Gamers is brought to you by Cool Nerd Productions. Now let's start the show. Yeah, man. Uh, before we get cracking on it, man, how you been though? Everything been good? Yeah, I'm good. I can't complain or anything. Uh, I'm pretty content. How are you, man? I'm not bad. I uh, was dealing with some very racist things up in in Grand Rapids and wasn't feeling it. So I was like, man, I gotta get up out of here. I messed up. You know, you make a mistake. He's like, ah, messed up. So I messed up. Went up there because it was a dope job, dope opportunity. And uh, the city was not dope. So, yeah, it didn't turn out too well. But I was like, man, I just need to move to a big city and just see what that's like. Or bigger, more diverse area. Yeah. So I did that. You got to start somewhere. You know, it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Was able to, you know, start a 401k. So it's not all that. Oh, okay. So you fancy now. Yeah, oh, super <laughs> fancy, man. I got dental plan and everything. It's crazy. Oh, oh you got <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. I even was able to get chiropractic care at one point. It's been crazy, man. It's been nuts. Um, Chad sends his regards, man. He really wanted to come and 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 speak to you and uh, talk some shit, but he he's gotta he's gotta work because he's whack. Uh, oh, your brother? Yeah. How's he doing, man? He's good. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. He's got his new spot, which I haven't seen yet because I haven't been home. Well, no, I went home. I just didn't go see his spot because he was working. But, um, yeah, man, so he's got a new spot. And then we started this podcast. And uh, that's really been taking all of our time and attention. So, yeah, man, it's been cool. It's been cool. It's been good. So, yeah, man, wanted to have you on. Um, not only that, man, I, I remember when we worked together, it was it was real fun working together and got a chance to, to know you because uh didn't get a chance to in high school so it was it was cool actually getting to know you and then uh for the brief time that we was able to hang out so i was like man let me have him on you cool dude you know let's talk some stuff yeah well thanks man and back at you yeah man for sure for sure uh and if you're good to go man we'll uh we'll get this thing cracking yeah let's go for it all right let me pull up i probably should pull up my intro I mean, since we do have a comedian in the house, man, I might as well do the intro, right? And we are live, about to get in the mix with episode 36. And we are back with another remix to Ignition, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Another rendition, an expedition, all facts, no fiction. A dosage of comedy not recommended by your pediatrician that not yet approved by the FDA nutrition that call me Sally Mae. And this is your tuition that, hmm, that don't sound too good. Could be your transmission. Another addition from the livest of tacticians. I just got a STD test from my physician. When you move how I move, be conscious of your position. That's 2018. So if you want the cheeks, 
get written permission. Damn, this is a long intro. Let's take a brief intermission. Consider us a shot of pristine whiskey during the prohibition. Your blood pressure is high. You need to eat better. Consider us your dietitian. From idea to execution, this podcast came to fruition. The game from the gamers podcast. What is going on, fellas? I am here. <laughs> I was about to make sure that was it. That was beautiful. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I am here, man, with a good friend of mine. It's about time we start having friends on this podcast. I think people only think we friends with each other. Like, the the, the six of us is only friends with each other. Which I can see that because we, we do seem kind of stupid at times. Um, but we do have other friends. Uh, this is a good friend of mine. Uh, very accomplished gentleman, Curtis Cook. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And I wanted to cut the intro kind of brief because we're going we gonna to brag a little bit. But we're going to do it over time because people need to understand this grind, this journey you've been on. Um, and I myself am, am, am very proud of you and, and a lot of people that I went to school with. But I'm very proud of you for taking this very complicated route of comedy, stand-up comedy. And and making making something of it, you went from funny guy in school to literally funny guy on the screen, and so I want to kind of talk about that and uh, let you brag a little bit, um, <coughs> and I'm gonna brag a little bit for you. Um, I'm rocking here with Xavier. Xavier, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good, man. Cannot complain. Good. Ready to hear about your hear about your guy though, man. You know, I love I love comedy. You know, it's a very creative, uh, dope uh, yes. skill. So, you know, I love it. Y'all make us laugh, man. So, definitely. I'm super excited to uh, to talk about this guy. Real quick background about Curtis and I. Um, we were actually not friends in high school, um, <laughs> and it's not because we was like beefing or anything. We I think we just hung in completely different crowds. Is that accurate? That seems pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, you used to walk up and down the hallways playing saxophone, which I respected. And I was more <laughs> like the dude who played hoops and like was trying to pretend to be cool. I knew I wasn't cool. I only had like five good friends. But like we was in completely different, just completely different lanes. I feel like by high school standards, you were significantly cooler than me, though, on all boards. So that, you know, you have that. I Yeah. I didn't want to be cool, though. That was the thing. Like, being cool in high school was not dope because coolness came with, like, upkeep. Like, you couldn't just do one cool thing and be cool for your entire career. Like, you had to keep doing cool shit. And I ran out of ideas. High school had a lot of dumb shit, man. <laughs> that's, all, that's basically what y'all say. Like, high school concepts are so funny when you think about it. It is. It yeah. is. The cool upkeep never really worked for me. So uh actually linked up with Curtis post high school. Um, I worked as a uh I always say a summer school teacher uh during the summer in college. And I think it was your mom who actually started working at the center first, and then you came to you came and started working after her. Um, and your mom, shout out to your mom, wonderful woman, um, very smart, very dedicated to helping 
the uh, the kids in in the area. I, it's it's not an urban area, so I don't want to say the the inner city kids, but it, it definitely had an inner city feel to it. Um, <laughs> it's a weird weird situation. If you guys want to have some fun, look up Chagrin Falls Park and all of this weirdness. Um, very weird uh, situation going on there. Uh, but we volunteered our time there, um, and we got to know each other which is when I found out that you did stand-up. And uh, since then, man, I've been following you. Um, and it's, 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 it's been a lot of things that you've been doing that have been just crazy, man. So I want to talk about this journey of you getting into um, to, to comedy. Um, did, I, did I accurately paint that picture? Does that sound about right? I feel, yeah. I mean, yeah, that sounds right. I'm trying to make sure this is the actual one, but there's a book called A Place of Our Own, The Chagrin Falls Park from 1921 to 1950. I think it's like somebody actually wrote like a sociology like textbook about how weird that situation is. Yeah, my mom, I think, has a copy of it. Yeah. Did you read it? Because I never well, read it. Uh, <laughs> out there. <laughs> So, I mean, like, what's weird about the area? Because, I mean, I know when you tell me about, like, where you're from back home, you always say, like, man, it's like, you always say, like, it's kind of hard to explain. Like, it's just weird. So, I would I would describe it as, like, we lit the, the area in general of, like, Bainbridge, Auburn, Geauga County was, like, it's, it's the last, if you're, like, on a road trip, it's the last town before you start to get nervous about where you're driving. Like, it's the last place before you're like, where the fuck is the school? How are there people out here? Uh, you cross the bridge and it's Amish country. But up until that point, it's like rural suburbs. But then scattered throughout there, there's like a vast wealth dis- dispar- disparity, discrepancy. Lots mm-hmm. of different mm-hmm. levels of income from like millionaire homeowners on golf course property and like DTJ Taborville and the park. Right. Oh. So it's like different blocks, basically. Yeah, but we don't have blocks because it's like farm country. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, it's weird. That's why I say it's weird. Cause like, <laughs> okay, I get it now. I mean, I get what you're saying though. I, I kind of get what you're saying because, like, in Houston, we have areas where like two blocks down would be like ten million dollar homes, and then the next two blocks it's like, oh damn, I might get robbed right here. So I, I get what y'all are saying. Mm-hmm. But take that same thing, get rid of the blocks, mix up, mix it up in cornfields, and you have Bainbridge. <laughs> Like so, if you cross this field, you enter in the park, and the the park where I grew up is what was considered the quote unquote hood. So people would be like, "Oh man, I can't come to the park, or don't take that trail. That'll take because there's a like a nature trail that goes through the middle of the park, and you see people running like they're doing their daily exercises. And it's funny because white people love doing the exercise in nature, but like as soon as they hit the park, them motherfuckers sprinting. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's like ain't shit going on out there. You know what I mean? It's it, that's why it's weird because. It's a it's a inner city black urban setting in the middle of the suburbs is what you're getting. And but there's no blocks. So you had growing up, my mom used to be like, stay off the corner. And when you think of the corner, you think like the city, like somebody standing on the corner. But there was no yeah. sidewalks. So it's literally somebody standing next to a street sign and there's like tall grass behind them. You see what I'm saying? It's weird. This is super weird. Like I'm picturing like 
like blocks in New York, but in like cornfields, like like in Children of the Corn cornfields. But like, so like I'm trying to picture it in my head. It's weird. It's so that's what he means that that there was a whole book, and I heard about this book. I never read it either because I don't need to know more than the fact that it's just it's odd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. It's odd. It's odd you got out, and that's the whole story. Yeah, because your mom actually asked me to stay. She was like, you should really stay. You're making a difference here. And I was like, man, I'm not staying here. (laughs) 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 With all due respect, I'm just, I can't stay here. Um, But this interview is not about me or the park. Uh, Nice, nice background information to know. Um, This is about Curtis. Um, so Xavier, where are we starting on our, on our notes here? You know, we take detailed notes. You got two pages of notes today. This is crazy. I know, man. Man, Chad had so many questions for you, Curtis. Like he had a lot. So I wanted to make sure we asked you a lot of his questions, but, um, I guess we can start in the beginning. Cause I remember you and Chad was telling me, uh, that Curtis actually started comedy in eighth grade. So like, I guess we can start there, man. I see that you, uh, you gave a stand up in a room full of PTA moms. So. How was that? Like, how was the, you know, the early stages of starting comedy? Like, how did y'all do research? How did, what is happening? <laughs> hey, you're Googleable. You're Googleable now, man. Like, I could do my Googles on you. That's crazy. I gotta edit. I gotta edit some stuff. I gotta get a better internet presence. I didn't know I was Googleable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did a, so, uh, Corey might remember this in the eighth grade, we had to do a career project. Uh, you had to spend like X amount of hours researching the career you wanted and you could either do a three, a three-sided poster board, which was like the shit in middle school, or you could give some kind of performance or presentation. Uh, so to kind of get out of having to do any work, I said stand up comic so that I could use my hours of research to just watch. Comedy Central videos, and then uh, then I performed at the the gym for all the parents. This dude, talk about work ethic, for real. <laughs> <laughs> you remember what jokes you had, man? No. <laughs> <laughs> and if I did, they wouldn't be fair. I feel like I think I I think I had we because we were in middle school and language arts classes. I think we were learning a lot about haikus. So I think I just had like a minute where I just talked about rap songs as haikus. Because uh, I think if you cut it up right, I think it's like, hold on, it's five, seven, five. So I think it's like from the window to the wall till the sweat drops down my balls all skeet skeet. And that's a haiku if you phrase it out appropriately. And I think I just did jokes like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you wallet, son. <laughs> uh, no, when I was researching it, it was like none of the moms laughed. I'm like, this is a, I'm thinking like, man, what did he say? Like, and now you saying that right there. I'm like, I can like picture the room full of PTA moms. Yes. It's Bainbridge, though. I mean, it makes sense. It's it's a suburban, so a bunch of suburban white moms. So that could not have gone. Did that? Do you think that is what sparked your comedy career? Did, did you come away from that like, man, I could do better? Was that like the thought process? I didn't do it again for another like a decade, maybe. Because I, I, I didn't know 
how it worked. Like, cause you know, we grew up in an area where there wasn't like a lot, like you couldn't just walk down the street and see signs for an open mic or anything. So I just like assumed you just went around life trying to be funny. And then one day you got a sitcom. And then after that, somebody was like, oh, why don't you just talk on stage for an hour? I didn't know how it worked until I was in college. So I just didn't do it again until then. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. It's actually a little bit more of a complicated process. Uh, Do you want to tell us how that works now that you have the experience? How does that work? So what what could you have done better, I guess, to prepare yourself? From where we were living, I don't know, honestly, because there's not like there's not a lot of stuff out that way. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Cause like what you were you were uh, uh, not, not maybe I'm misremembering and this is not to put you on blast but you you you're what uh, you were like a rapper for a minute in middle school high school right there was like a group of people that all had notebooks they would write stuff down in yeah I mean yeah we uh we had a rap group fresh back in the day man me and a couple buddies and we used to we used to spit bars we was locally Y'all famous fresh. Like, Fresh. Y'all were called fresh. Bars, cuz. We had, I'm gonna say it one more time, bars. All right. We was well respected in Bainbridge, which ain't saying much. The fresh was in all caps, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was uh it was whack. I'm lying. It was real whack. But yeah, so well, yeah. Probably we, the best rap group in Bainbridge. I mean, it's a, there's not a lot of competition. Oh, hands down. We was the best rap group in Bainbridge. We were some local motherfuckers. For sure. The moment we stepped out of Bainbridge, whack. Immediately. But we was hot in Bainbridge, for sure. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. It, it wasn't it wasn't a place to build any type of entertainment career. Yeah. Like, you could write down your thoughts. You could be with friends and work on your practice, but you couldn't really do anything outside of that. Right. That makes sense. So do you think um, like the internet helped you then? Due to the fact you're coming from an area that's like not traditionally where someone would like build a career entertainment wise, or do you feel like you movie like LA helped more? I didn't really know. Uh, I mean, I don't. I think I. I think my we were going to the library to use the internet until high school, I think, and then I didn't really know. Like, I didn't know from YouTube and all that stuff. I would just use like BearShare and LimeWire to get music. And stuff like I never really knew how to use the internet for comedy until way later in life, uh, and then I stuck in Ohio for way too long. So I think uh, once I could drive and like set some time aside to get into the city, uh, things were better. But up until that point, it was just a lot of waiting around, taking notes, and hoping that one day I could do something. Mm, that makes sense because uh, we were. Maybe you can relate to this too, Xavier. I feel like our generation was not quite the internet generation like it is now. The young kids now are the internet generation, but we were in between. So like technology was moving quick and there was things out there, but we just didn't know. Like YouTube was out there. No one was thinking to use YouTube for what they're using it for today. So when you got on the internet, like we used to get on the internet to print pictures of Dragon Ball Z characters. (laughs) <laughs> and that was it. Like we, that's what we went to the library to do. Up until, like he said, like high school, that's what we was yeah, doing. It, it became more efficient. Yeah, it became more efficient. I see what you're saying. Right. So I mean, you you had to he did it in a different way. But, I mean, I feel like he was still studying. You were still putting your work ethic. You was doing it in a different way. 
for us. Like, I feel like when you probably finally got your shot, you just like unloaded, you basically unloaded the clip on everybody. Like, hey, I've been holding all this shit in. You know, like, I got my, I got my time. That's what's up, though. Yeah. I think maybe it's like that. But then when I unloaded the clip, I didn't know how to aim. So it was just like 10 years of thoughts that went nowhere. It was pretty bad for the first while. <laughs> like I'm just trying to be honest with like it's not like you know I'm 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 doing okay now but it's been you know eight years and those first two were rough. How many shows you think you did like open mic before you finally like started to, like you know fill out the crowd you know gain your confidence per se? Oh man, a bunch. Uh, I think I kept a tally. I had, like, a notebook, and I would keep a tally that first year. And so I think, like, it was, like, it was, I mean, I'd went out as much as possible balancing between school and everything, and I'd say it was, like, 100 mics or something before I was, like, oh, this is what the fuck I'm doing. Damn. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, some people just have, like, raw, like, talent, and I do not (laughs) as much as I wish I did, but got to do work ethic to make up for it. Yo, man, it makes me think of uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He said you got to put 10,000 hours in anything you want to perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moving right along, man, I want to hear about, because when you first got into comedy, um, you were in Portland, right? I started in Cleveland. I would drive in uh, either from Auburn I would drive in or from Oberlin I would drive in. Okay. It's been about two two years there with that so started cleveland did a couple years there then to portland yeah and then you were in portland for how many years then six four four okay and then from there you moved to la yeah but that wasn't I didn't move to L.A. because, like, I was doing really well. I moved to L.A. because my girl got into grad school, and I can't pay rent without her. And then from there, it just worked out. That's actually perfect, though. <laughs> yes, it's, it works. <laughs> so talk about moving from Cleveland to Portland, because those are two very different cities. In terms of the culture, how was it in comparison to Cleveland? Uh, I, I'm, you know, I didn't, it wasn't... It, it wasn't for me. Uh, I feel like conflicted about it because I owe Portland a lot in terms of what it did for, for me career-wise, but also I just didn't like living there. Because like you, you grow up in Cleveland or the Midwest, uh, and it, like the vibe is just kind of like, everything sucks, but we're going to do our best. And then you move to a place like Portland, and the vibe is like, we, are, we matter so much. Hear our voices. But then it's just the same bullshit over and over again. Damn. I don't want to live in Cleveland or Portland, to be honest with you. They both sound just awful. <laughs> I like Cleveland. I never lived there. I kind of wish I had the chance. But, like, I mean, what was your experience moving from our part of town to Grand Rapids? Because it sounds like cause you were saying you were dealing with racism and all that. But, like, it's not like Bainbridge is a bastion of liberal thought. Like, Right. So it was different in the sense that... Um, Moving from Cleveland to, to Grand Rapids, Cleveland is like a city city. Like, it's dirty. People don't really drive too well. Um, Grand Rapids was like an intelligent city, which I think Portland tries to be as well. Like, an intelligence. We're an intelligent city. Like, the people try to be smart. 
or yeah. or vegan or you know what I mean like forward thinking kind of <laughs> uh and 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 really it's just a bunch of bullshit uh Grand Rapids just is a bunch of uh snooty booty white people pretty much and it was it was cool for what it was I mean it was I, I needed a job and I and it was a dope job I talked about it before on the podcast working with Amazon um, but the problem became Grand Haven, which is like 30 minutes west, 30, 40 minutes west. And that's where I worked. And um, that's right near the beach. And black people don't exist there. And so the issue became that when people saw me, it was like, a, oh, my God, a black dude. Or it was, ooh, a black dude. Like it was it was one or the other. And Did anybody ask to take a picture with you? No, it wasn't that far. It wasn't that far, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody did. Actually, people took pictures of me, though, for Amazon because they needed some black people in it. So I guess they just didn't want to take them with me. Um, did they pay you? Did you get paid just to show up and be black? Um, They paid me my daily rate. Yeah, I was. I just got to go out of work and go take some pictures. And if you're on Spotify, you can catch an ad with my face on it, which is pretty dope. <laughs> um. You know, I'm out here famous, but that was my experience. And I know um, the reason why I'm so caught up on on Portland in, in general is because you actually ended up on Portlandia, which is a hilarious yeah. show. Can you please talk about that? Because, I mean, that's dope. How did you end up with that? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. I, there's like... The port. I mean, I guess all comedy communities are relatively small. So the one in Portland is like, uh, like a small group of people who all kind of get to know each other. And Portland, uh, for whatever reason, because it's like real popular right now, has just a lot of media industry moving there and doing their stuff. So there's a couple of shows that filmed in that area, and the entertainment community kind of like attends comedy every once in a while. So if you watch like Portlandia all through the seasons, there's a bunch of local comics. Like uh, Adam Posse uh, and Joanne Schindley and Nathan Brandon, all these people pop up because um, they they were really nice in that. Like they were like, "This is a comedy show about Portland, so we're gonna give you know local comics in this area a chance to be seen," mm -hmm. which was real cool of them. That's dope. So it's kind of like they put on for the local scene. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice, and there was really like a supportive atmosphere about everything. Did you get a chance to meet uh, Fred and Carrie face to face and like talk to them and pick their brains at all? No, we didn't do anything like that. They were like, uh, they are at that level where like they are like super kind and sweet people, but also like super professional. So it's all like, like, like that you can feel that they're like they're genuine positive energy, but also they're like busy and they're at work. So it's all like professional courtesy, which is like really nice. But like, not really a place where you can just like chat it up. Mm, okay, because I'm sure you could probably use that that time. You know what I mean to to learn a little bit. But oh yeah, like it would like you know it would be cool to like be able to sit down and have a beer with them. They seem like really cool people. But like at the end of the day, it was just like everybody at work. So you know, I, when I say that, I don't mean like like they were great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just like uh, it's like trying to think, trying to think of a way to make it. Uh, da -da -da -da. Like you, uh, you work, you uh, you produce music, right? Yep, yep, still doing it. 
I guess maybe I, I don't know if this is I don't know if this is accurate at all to that experience. Maybe it's like like a big name comes through the studio and you're helping them out, but like they only have an hour of studio time. So at the end of that hour, if they have to dip because they've got a show or something, you don't get a chance to talk to them like that. But they're still really nice and decent. Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a great uh, comparison in terms of you know working in the music industry. Um, you get a lot of people to come through the studio, a lot of dope people, and you don't always even get to talk to them about anything outside of the project that you're currently working on just because it's time sensitive. Everyone's paying for everything that's going on. So I don't want to sit here and have a 30 minute conversation with you when I have to pay for 30 extra minutes of studio time. But it was cool meeting you kind of thing. So I yeah. get that for sure. For sure. I think we just more so curious. I don't know if that's a bad thing to ask, but, you know, just I know there's trade secrets and stuff in, in, in all businesses. But I was we were just curious, like. More so, like, what is it like being in a in a in a writing room? Like, I've never been in a writing room. I've heard things about like it's a very cool environment to be in in terms of like people shouting out cool ideas, people shouting out dumb ideas and it don't make it. But it's still funny to hear like certain things so can you talk to us about maybe like the writing room experience <laughs> you i feel like this is be a disappointed interview because i think you just summed it up right there pretty accurately <laughs> like that's the whole thing like uh like uh yeah yeah that's the whole thing you, you did it that was it that's pretty much it somebody comes in throws out an idea we joke around about it uh, we get some ideas about it. We all leave to our separate rooms for a day or two, come back uh, with those same ideas, but written down and flushed out. And then the head writer comes through and puts puts together all the best pieces of everybody else's work. And then that's the show. It kind of sounds like the process you've explained before, like from people that like writing songs, or like artists with like a studio, like a hire, like a certain set of writers, you know, everybody's just kind of like brainstorming, like pinging ideas. And then, you know, eventually you just take, you know, different parts from different writers and they create a song. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it does sound similar to that. Like uh, the songwriting process can be similar in the fact that they pretty much lock you in a room and have you write. I don't think they literally lock you in a room, but they lock you in a in a room in, in this example and have you write. And then they take the best content that you write and um either use it or maybe they pass it along to other writers and they just keep continuing adding i mean there's a lot of different ways labels do it um to get their formulated hits but that's why you see like certain people always have hits because the writing process is so uh, meticulous or it's so extensive that yeah you get a hit but um there was also like seven songs written during that process and they were able, able to like mix and match or kind of uh, maybe sift through to find the best stuff. So it's, it's kind of dope in that way. Um, it sounds like the writing process is, is similar to that. I mean, because now I got a question uh, for you because you might have a better idea about this from the production standpoint. In comedy, it does like there's no shame in having writers as because every all the writers get credited as having participated in the in the piece but like i'm hearing that with music now that's less and less the case and people are just like not saying that they have writers is that true or is that just like something that's been blown out of proportion because i only know about this from a distance 
Yeah, it's uh it it depends on the genre. So that that's uh stigma, I guess, that comes along with writers and music normally only happens in the in the rap world. I think is where it started. Like people really pride themselves on writing their own lyrics and being original and people didn't want others to know that people were writing for them. And so it became almost like a shameful thing to have someone write for you. But if you think about other genres, R&B, especially back in the day, um, pop, country, if you have other writers, that's not a bad thing. Just as long as the record is dope, people don't care. People actually kind of like with with comedy would be like, oh, that's cool that so-and-so wrote on this. Um, Now that hip-hop is trickling into everything, that same mindset is now trickling into everything, right? So if you're going to bite a hip-hop beat and do a pop record, people will get mad if everybody didn't write their own stuff. I, I, at least that's what I'm seeing. Xavier, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But that mindset yeah, I mean, is starting he, to trickle out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it kind it kind of is. I think now is because it's like maybe the music – like scenes change a lot of it's more emotion music so it's like as long as the beat is dope like people don't really care like at least that's from how i'm looking at it so i feel like a lot of people don't really write their stuff anymore yeah it's gotten to that point where uh drake i think drake became the standard and drake kind of writes has 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 a, a a nice team of writers and he writes himself so it's a nice blend and now everyone's trying to mimic that especially the labels you know, labels are about money, so. Does he credit the writers when it's all when the final product comes out? Yes, but see, that's tricky, right? So originally he didn't, and then I think when he got called out on it, the next CD he like over like credited. <laughs> it was like a weird situation. Right, right. Um, from a technical standpoint, you have to credit the writers. Unless there's some weird clause that you work out with them that says that I'm not going to give you credit. But a part of that is when you have album credits, usually you see a list of writers. The problem is we're in the era of streaming. So when you op- open Apple Music, you can't see any credits. So people were able to hide it in this era. Back in the day, it was a little bit harder to hide because people read the books that came with the CDs. Now there's no physical, there's not even a PDF that you can click on to get um, album art and album credits. So, yeah. So where do you guys fall with that? Like, should should the people, like, be credited for their contribution or does it just, like, not matter as long as the final product is good? What you think, X? I mean, I think me, I think if you're making good music, like, and the music's good. I feel like everybody should be credited. Like, maybe not, like, out in the open far as, like, you know, you're not going to list eight writers, you know, on a song that you're streaming on uh, Apple Music. But I feel like when I click on the album, if I want to go to album details, I should be able to find all eight of those writers' names. But that's just me, though. Like, at this point, I just feel like if you make good music, you make good music. Right. Right. I kind of agree with that uh, to, an, to a certain extent. There's certain artists that I have expectations for where I'm expecting them to write all their own stuff. Um, and this is hooks excluded. Like, if you have a hook written for you or somebody helped you with a hook, that's okay because hooks are difficult. Um, 
whereas blasting people with bars seems to be a lot easier for lyricists. Um, so people like Royce the Five Nine, um, somebody like uh, I can't even say Eminem anymore. Someone like um, Joyner Lucas, um, maybe even I'll put Jay Z in there. Those kind of guys, I'm expecting you to write your own bars. That's just my expectation. So I get a little disappointed when I hear that like, oh, they didn't write this verse. Then it's like, dang, like I was expecting the, the, the bars that come from the, the, the lyrical rappers. But if it's somebody like Drake, I don't get as upset because I know he's a song maker and I'm, I'm looking to him for entertainment to feel good, to sonically have a good sound sounding album whereas somebody like jay-z or the other people i mentioned before maybe a nas i'm looking for bars i don't care if it even doesn't sound that great like i want to be wild um and so for me i'm kind of torn i guess uh just depends on on the the genre i guess or the artist for me okay it sounds i don't want to put like words in your mouth uh but like it sounds like you're if you view the art, the artist as like an artist, you expect them to create. But if you view them as like a more of a pop icon, doesn't really matter. Exactly, exactly. Which I mean, turning it back. Okay, so let's. I'm gonna turn it back on you. It does the same hold true for comedians because um, one of my one of my favorites is Maranzio Vance, and he always calls himself the Talib Kweli of uh, stand up, and. Um, I expect Maranzio, for example, um, to write all of his own jokes. Whereas a Kevin Hart, if Kev it came out to Kevin Hart's team helped write his jokes, like I wouldn't be surprised by that. Is that kind of how you view comedy? Is comedy the same way in a stand-up? I think my my personal view, and I'm not sure if this is across across the board, kind of a general opinion, but like. I think it's like since like Rob Hope or Bob Hope and stuff, it's been like you just have to say that the writers exist. Like Chris Rock had writers for his bigger specials and like nobody has ever like thought less of him as a comic because of that. Like Wanda Sykes wrote a ton of his stuff and like helped out. And like I feel like for me in the comedy world, it's just like if if the special plays and the credit bed says writers, that's perfectly fine. And if the credit bed plays and it says writer and it's only the comic's name, that's fine. But if it come out later that you just didn't credit the people who helped you, then that feels wrong. Because mm. it's not like, because if, because, you know, you're performing it, you're doing it. I'm not worried that every single word that fell out of your mouth was something that you put down pen to paper yourself. But like, if you're going to say that it was, it, it better have been, you know? Yeah. Because you could be destroying someone else's opportunity to get yeah. more profit by writing yeah, for other yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and like, you know, comedy writing has been a career in and of itself way longer than hip-hop writing. And so, like, if, you know, if you can't put that on your resume because somebody doesn't want you to say that you help, then that fucks you a little bit. Oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. That would be catastrophic if you've written for, like, Kevin like big names a bunch of big names and then they all like you like you never there yeah, yeah wow that's kind of 
that would be whack. I would be mad, bro. So I can understand, I guess, uh, the 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 issue there. Um, which, ooh, thinking of it now, um, I want to talk about joke stealing. So I feel like that's kind of in the same category. Yeah, I was about to ask that question. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> ask that one because that's a good one. Um, so, I mean, like, how do you feel about comedians taking others' jokes? Like, um, what was the guy that did uh, Mind of Mancina? Um, Carlos Mancina. Like, remember, he got caught, like, tons of times by other, like, you know, comedians, like, stealing their jokes. Ooh, I remember that. Yes. I mean, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's like a, it's. It doesn't, I don't think, I think because of like high profile guys like that who got caught, uh, like it, it makes it seem like it's kind of like this ongoing problem. Um, but I don't think it, it, I don't think it is on a wider level. Like I've definitely, like I've, I think a couple of things happen. One, I think people will just like be riffing or going off the top of their head and they'll accidentally say something that somebody else had said. And I think like that, like is generally unless you're like recording it, making money from it, that's just something that's bound to happen. I think there's another thing where like, you'll just have, like there's, you know, only so much shit happens to people, you know? So like Tinder jokes were a thing for a while. And like, you'll hear the same Tinder jokes from three different people. And that's not theft so much as it's just probably not that good a joke. Like is mostly the thing. (laughs) Uh, But like straight up theft is like, I want to say it's relatively rare, or at least in my experience, is relatively rare. Like the last thing, I think I saw a woman uh, at a club, and she was she did like ten minutes. And I, I, I'm not like I don't know why I'm so familiar with Larry the Cable Guy's material, but she was doing like a good ten minutes of Larry the Cable Guy's material. Uh, but like <laughs> outside of that, I don't. I have not seen it happen that often. So what constitutes, I guess, as a steal then? Because it sounds like if you and I both have a joke about Tinder and fat girls posting pictures of themselves smaller, that to me doesn't necessarily constitute as a steal as much as it, like you said before, just like that's what's popping. Um, There's only so many experiences, life experiences you can have. Two people are bound to come up with the same joke but what if now someone starts stealing my cadence hand motions things like that it it, like how do you how do you constitute like where does the line get drawn i guess there was a uh i don't know that much about this i'm not like a i try to do my research but i'm not like a super I'm not like an old school knowledgeable guy in terms of everything, but like there was that exact same conversation has really circled around. Uh, uh, wait, let me make sure I'm getting the right guy. Uh, no, wrong one. Uh, oh, that's just, all right, sorry. I'm really bad at names. That same conversation has circled around Bill Hicks and Dennis Leary. Uh, Cause Bill Hicks was a comic who was doing a thing. And Dennis Leary just kind of came in and started doing the exact same thing and allegedly the exact same jokes to uh, far more commercial success. Ooh. And wow. so, and, and I, like, and I should like preface, I'm saying allegedly because like I've heard a lot of people talk about this, but I don't know shit and I'm not like, 
in a position where I can be like so confident with myself that I can be like, yeah, these like people that everyone knows about are fucked up. But like allegedly stuff. Like, I mean, I think and that happens with like, I feel like that happens a decent amount in hip hop too now where people are like, so everybody does a run of threes, but like as long as the words aren't the same, maybe it's okay. Like there are weird gray areas with IP that nobody knows what to do about. I was actually gonna I was actually gonna bring that up like in the comedy world can you actually like pay homage because you know like in the hip-hop world like you said like sometimes like dudes that take a couple 16s here and there just to say like oh like you know big ups to Ice Cube or big ups to whoever it may be like Jay-Z did it with Biggie multiple times in various songs right yeah I'm not I I'm not really like like I I like music but I'm not really that into the culture of hip-hop so like as an outsider, and I guess as somebody with like a perspective in comedy writing and stand up, I always I always feel like that's a little bit lazy. And I realize that like as someone who's not a part of that culture, doesn't really understand the hip hop community, that it's not on me to make that decision. But like my perspective is always like, so if the best 30 seconds of your song were quoting somebody else's song, then why am I listening to your song? Mm, that's a great point. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, maybe, I'm assuming it goes deeper than that, and I just don't have the knowledge about what's going on. But like, I see that happening a lot. Like, everybody's quoting a hit song and their hit song. Why? Why is that happening? Are, are we out of songs? To a, to a degree, I would say yeah. I think people are <laughs> running out of songs to make, but also, um, it's a way to. To not only pay homage, but pull it, it's it's almost like sampling where you're taking something from a different genre or a different area and pulling it to your fan base. And then because you do that and then make sure people know that you did that and you pay them their royalties and publishing, it causes your fan base to then go back and go listen to that record. So do those and it in that situation, like, because with sampling, I, I get it more. It's like, hey, I really respect what you did here, but I want to do it a little bit differently. So let me give you some money and go for it. But with like taking a verse of someone else's ly- lyric, like, does the estate of that person get paid? Like, is there any transaction happening where somebody's benefiting? Or is it just like, hey, here's a thing we all remember. So I'm just going to say the exact same thing. It used to be the second one where I'm going to just pay this homage, but um, publishing checks needed to be made out. because, Well, I guess we got to start with publishing. So there's performance um, performance royalties that are paid. So anytime your music is played in a public setting or, or, bo- or borrowed or, or if you're a writer and, and you don't get paid from CD sales, you get paid from publishing. And you'll hear that a lot, like publishing, hold on to your publishing. Um, and basically what that is, is is magic money. Like if your music gets played, a company has to pay a specific service, right? To be able to play Rihanna records in a ballroom full of 300 people. Like You can't just do that. You'll get in trouble if you do. So if you have a ballroom full of 300 people, there is a system in that speaker um, and in that speaker that plays the whole system that that reports that you played that, how many times you played it. And then that gets reported 
to um, a, a company that oversees kind of like this whole performance royalty thing, right? And then from there, when it's reported back, because that company is paying a fee, that fee that they pay goes towards paying out artists. So you'll get a check in the mail that says, hey, your song was played three million times. Here's $50,000. So that's why publishing is important. So knowing that you could get that money, it used to be like, yeah, it's cool. Just pay me my homage. But now it's like, well, bro, you could put me down for publishing and I could get paid. So that's the thing that's going on now. I don't know if that explanation made sense. Publishing is super hard to explain. It's magic it, money. It, it made sense, but is that... I'm trying to think. I'm trying to find a specific example. You, can you guys think of anything off the top of your head where, like, there's a song out now that has, like, a chunk of the lyrics of the exact same as a the song they used to be? Uh, I can't damn. think of one. Um, there's been... Uh, I can't think of it now. There's been records, though, like that, where they don't necessarily steal lyric for lyric, but they steal the entire cadence, on purpose, steal the entire cadence of a popular verse, and they use some words as the same, but they switch it to be their own. That has happened before. Yeah, so that kind of a thing. Is that that does that is that being included in the publishing now? Is there like 50 cents of this money that you would have made because the song played on the radio? Ten of those cents now go to the person who's Yep. That's exactly okay. that's exactly what happens. And that's why um some people won't use samples. Um people like um Daft Punk um won't allow it and then like um, I think it was Prince that didn't allow it. And then there's people who will allow it, but then you have to pay so much money that it's not worth it. Like they will take I found the example, bro. Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. Um what was the song that Robin Thick and uh Pharrell had? Um and they had to pay uh was it Al Green's estate back? Blurred lines. Oh, Blurred lines, yep. Blurred lines. Yeah. They have to pay them and the uh, record company got sued. Like all profits had to go to. Oh, uh, see, and I, I don't think it was like word for word. Like I don't think they changed much in the song. Like they lost that lawsuit quick. I, I don't know. I had heard that that was like a really weird thing because if the fact that they won the lawsuit, someone said that like the phrasing in like the legal case on the victory was weird. So that like it opens up the doors now, where there can be more lawsuits just for kind of stealing vibes. Yeah, that one was weird because uh, it was Yeah, I'm sorry, um, it was Marvin. Yeah, yeah, it it was. Uh, they were stealing. the The basic thing was that they, they felt that they were stealing an entire um, Marvin Gaye vibe, and and I think the estate was trying to say that 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 vibe was so unique that there's no way that they weren't copying it. And I mean, no idea is unique. Um. But it's not a lyrical standpoint. It was more so uh, the production. Literally, the cadence was the same. The hits were the same on the drum backbeats. Like, it was very much the same. And so that's what happened there, which is a whole nother aspect. So now rappers have to worry about not only their production, but their lyrics and other artists. Because you got paid. I mean, what, what, what would you really have to change? Like, if you're sampling a production, I mean, do you have to change up the whole cadence? Do you have to add extra sounds? Like, so, go ahead, Curtis. I, I mean, you, I'm assuming you know more, but like, the only thing that I know is that I think there's like a specific length of time. Like, if it's under like three seconds or something, you're allowed to have it. 
Uh, but outside of that, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's a certain amount of notes from what I understood in music uh, business class. Is this? It's like if you have the like, like the the. You ever seen the video of Vanilla Ice trying to explain that it was a different cadence from the song that he sampled? But clearly, oh, yeah. it was a sample. It's hilarious. It's funniest shit of all time. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's the same exact thing, but those boom, 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 boom. If I do that in any song, it's theft. I have to find a different cadence for the same notes. So I could do bum, 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 bum. I could do that, but I can't do bum, 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 bum. So literally, like, you have to, like, they will play these things side by side, look at the melody, look at the structure of the song. If you stole even like the same, if you stole some notes, okay. If you stole the whole like kind of like vibe and structure, you in some trouble. Which is where uh, Pharrell and and uh, Robin Thicke got in trouble because they were stealing. It was it was too much. Just the way it was, it was structured too similarly. It's so, gonna yeah. be an interesting time for that stuff because like we're so. I mean. It used to be, I think, where music was just a thing that happened and then disappeared into the air. But now between, like, music, television, plays, movies, scripts, YouTube videos, Snapchat, everybody's putting their intellectual property out in some form. A million people doing it every single day. I don't know that the law is going to be able to keep keeping up with it. Yeah, something's going to have to change. Yeah, that would suck, though, if you couldn't make a Snapchat video with your favorite song playing in the back. And also, that's just, that's too hard to keep track of. That's like a dictatorship. Like, oh, snaps. Yeah. Something was playing in the back, and now we getting sued. Like, I wasn't even trying to, you know, play the song like that. It was just playing in the background, or you at a public event. So think of it this way. You're at a you're at a baseball stadium where the baseball stadium is paying to use that music. You do a Snapchat video. It goes viral and gets 6 million views, and that song is playing in the background but it's already been paid for are you telling me it's got to be paid for again through my snapchat video do you see what i'm saying it would be for that yeah that's crazy to me i know that if you put something like that on youtube up i think they have the right to take it to ask you to take it down right like they do. yeah mm-hmm. yeah they do yep but no one that's crazy because it's already been paid for but because a whole nother set of viewers are coming in and watching it and enjoying that song in the background you gotta pay for it again even though it's it's like um i don't even know a good analogy it's like food that's already been eaten and you're trying to (laughs) eat it again out of somebody's stomach it's weird it's just like that's crazy to me uh but yeah the music industry is 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 nuts it is nuts, man. And it's, it seems like it's pretty similar to the, uh, fairly similar to the comedy world, which is why I think, um, I don't know if you noticed this, Curtis, but the two are starting to um, show similarities, especially in like the beefs that are happening right now in the comedy <laughs> world. <laughs> Have you been noticing this? This Faison love beef that happened? Uh, Mike Epps and Kevin Hart. Have you been noticing that? Who's the fucking African dude? Uh, Black- Michael Blackson and Kevin Hart. Yeah, I have been. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's different when you're when you're all on that. Level, but like on the level I'm at, it's pretty much just like do your best to be nice to everybody so you can keep working together. 
I don't know what it's like when you roll up to the breakfast club in a fur jacket. Like maybe that's different, but that's a good point. Uh, the stuff. I mean, there's some sim- like the similarities. I guess like I feel like people get called out for joke theft a lot. Where like that's just kind of like the most extreme thing that could have possibly happened. Like Amy Schumer got in a lot of stuff for like they were saying like she stole stuff from Patrice O'Neill, but like there's been so much comedy. Like, there's so many, like, I'll buy records at a thrift shop and listen to it, and, like, you'll hear similarities between something you heard, like, just the other day, like, on Netflix. Like, you just can't keep track of everybody's stuff. So that part, that part, I think, is similar in the music community, but as far as the beef goes, I, I, I hope, I hope y'all can keep that. I don't think we need that. <laughs> I don't think they need it either. I don't know what Faison Love was thinking talking about Dave Chappelle wasn't funny in the beginning. Like, bro, like, why would you get on it? This is your time during an interview to talk about yourself and what you got going on. And instead, you're trying to make a viral moment out of another man. Like, that's just crazy, bro. It's just like, keep, like you said, keep that in hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause I think, I think, I think it, like, it's not just hip hop. Like, I think it's all artistic forms are like, everybody's trying to do their thing and somebody gets ahead. You know, somebody always gets ahead and then people have feelings about why that is and if it's right. And like, that's everything all the time. That's not, you know, that doesn't even have to be entertainment. That can just be who got promoted at the office. Yeah. When it, I think with hip hop and not even like, I mean, there's like, I think like I've heard like Sinatra lyrics where he calls out other crooners. Like there's just like in music, there was a way to record an album where you said either through metaphor or directly, hey, fuck so-and-so specifically. But like, can't really do that with a joke. Like, I, I don't know that Kevin Hart can sell out a stadium and tell a really specific joke about Michael Blackson. Like, I don't know that it was ever going to work that way. But now with Twitter and YouTube and everything, everybody has a chance to fucking hate on somebody publicly. Yeah, that's a good point. Social media is ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, that was a mistake. It was. It was for sure. So getting right back into some random topics, uh, one that I was and and it stays right along with the music stuff that we're talking about. um, But I saw you post about it. We talked about it at one point. But this whole Bruno Mars things is coming up. And I know you are very black conscious. Um, oh yeah, we gotta speak about that too. Yeah, yeah. Which people might not know, man. You're very, you're, you're even working with you when we were working with the kids and stuff. Um, you were very uh, pro black knowledge and and um, bettering yourself, you know. And I like that about you. When you're light skinned, you really have to be that way. They're like, <laughs> yeah, make- man, you go. <laughs> They don't know, man. They really don't know. <laughs> oh God! Light skin issues. Should we just like play some some like down and out music right now? Just let let y'all two just talk about the struggles of light skin brothers real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get your opinion on it because I saw you posted something about the Bruno Mars thing. How do you feel about it? I I I'm not. I'm not great with that. There's a point like where I just don't care. And that's that's right around that point. Exactly. Okay. We the like, same on that. Yeah, like I think white people with dreadlocks, I I'm about 50-50 on, and then anything after that, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Yo, I'm about the same way. 
I'm 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 actually right around there. Like, uh, like you can have the dreadlocks if you really want to do it, but don't do it. And then like <laughs> Bruno Mars to me, it's like people have been making this argument, and X, tell me if you agree. If someone is good at something that we do, we okay with it. But if they're not that great at it, then we don't like them. But the only, I guess, asterisk to that is we don't want somebody getting more popular than black artists doing black music. Wait, wait, before I comment, what is Bruno? I thought he was, um, what is he? He's everything except for black. Yeah, he's a lot of things. I think Puerto Rican and let me look it up. Oh, but that isn't because then that might be weird because it might be like his nationality might be something, but he's still black, you know? Yeah, because I'm like I'm like, I'm thinking that he's like he's Puerto Rican or Dominican or something. Like I have no issue with it. I mean, historically, like they're African, so that's all. That's why I'm asking. I don't know if he's Asian. I don't know if he's. I don't know what he is. So that's why I'm asking. Puerto Rican. Uh, uh, he's Puerto Rican, Ashkenazi, Jewish, Ukrainian, Hungarian. Hmm. He grew up in Waikiki in the neighborhood of Honolulu. Wow. Didn't know you could just find everything out. All right. Well. <laughs> Welcome to the I promise internet, I, just, I didn't have that in the chamber ready to go. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. None of that is black, though. I don't know what y'all want to say. He got a little bit of black in it. I mean, <laughs> I, it seems like we're kind of nitpicking if we're like down to the percentages of how much you have to pay to be. Yeah, something. I mean, right? but to answer, but to answer your question though, for me personally, like I feel like he's a talented artist. Like when I listen to him, um, I know my stepmom, Kayla, they went to uh, his concert when it was in Houston, and she really liked Bruno, and that's what she said. She was like, you know, I don't really care what people have to say. She was like, this brought me back to like memories of like high school and junior high of going to some friends. So she was like, he's dope as shit. I don't care what anybody has to say. So I was like, I mean, if you're looking at just the music, and I mean, she's comparing them to Prince, you know, someone she grew up watching and seen multiple times at concerts. Like, I feel like that's all that should matter. Now, if we're going to talk about culture vulturing, I feel like JT. Yeah. So what do what do you think the difference is? Because the Justice Timberlake has been doing what he's been doing for a while, and it seems like just recently people got upset about it because of that because he became a woodsman all of a sudden or something. Oh, the album the album um i don't know why people got mad at it i honestly felt people got mad at it because they was like wait if we mad at bruno mars we should be mad at jt too and it was just like come on man y'all had all these years to be mad at justin and y'all wasn't more mad at justin over the fact that him and prince didn't like each other so i think when they had him do the prince song at the super bowl and i think that's what people were kind of mad about but i mean for the culture vulturing thing i mean I don't know. Do y'all think he's a culture vulture? Like, do you mean do y'all think Drake's a culture vulture? I, I think that JT is a culture vulture, but I, I wouldn't call. I mean, by definition, he would be. What What is a culture vulture? Right, it's someone outside of a certain culture, dabbling in it and then making money off of it. And then but, you don't give credit to the original uh, creators. Yeah, put it in the equation, make because then it's like, what is a culture? Like, does someone have access to it because they're a certain race, or does it actually involve having grown up in the lifestyle you're preaching? Yeah, it's true. Because if that, we're going with that, then, like, isn't Drake, like, a suburb boy who played hockey in Canada? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know. So, technically, he would be still in the culture. But then if you look at Justin Timberlake, you could say that he's from a culture of America where it is popular to still black 
things. So he's right in the culture. The entire culture is about <laughs> I don't think he fits that category. I feel like the producers that mess with him wouldn't mess with him if they felt that he wasn't paying homage. I don't know. Maybe he pays his homage behind the scenes, which is okay. And then when the music is out, he focuses on the music, um, which I'm not mad at. So I, I was just curious. I'm not Bruno though. They go back to go back to the original. No, Bruno is cool with me. Um, I do think that uh, if we remember, what was the name of that song? Um, God, I can hear it. Nothing at all. Ooh, ooh. When he first came out, he had that song about I'm not doing nothing today or something. Very poppy. Shit. I'm gonna have to look that up. Anyway, so he did a very, very poppy record when he first came out. And then ever since that whole pop stream came out, he started doing more, more black influence things. And so do I think he's culture vulture no he uh he's just he's he's dabbling in what he likes like he started in pop maybe he'll go country maybe he'll go more hip-hop at some point like i don't know i don't think he's stealing anything though personally but but it's also like that like uh uh hannah miley cyrus she had like a big splash in her career because she was doing like hip-hop and stuff and then like now she's like this like country girl who's married kind of says like I was young and silly back then. So it's kind of turning black culture into something that you like are allowed, like a vape, like a, like a Cancun spring break. Like you're allowed to just like uh, be black ish for a while when you're young and dumb. But when it's time to be an adult, you be like white. No, I get what you're saying. And, and putting it that way, I, that's when the vulture kind of stuff comes in. It's like, I think it all depends on how you, how you move once you're in the culture, like once you're in, how you get in, how you are when you're in the culture and how you leave. It's very important. So it's, I think it's too early to say whether or not Bruno Mars is a culture voice, because right now we might be cool with it. We might be like, all right, what he's doing is fine. But then taking into the consideration, the fact that he was in pop first, then he went to hip hop and then he just exits out when the next thing is hot then we might say he's a culture vulture for sure. So I can, I can see that point. And I like that. I like that. Cause Miley Cyrus, I would consider a vulture for sure, but who's to say, um, how did you feel? Did you go see, uh, did you go see black? Panther yet? Did you go see that? Uh, I haven't. So my greatest shame, I have yet to see. Black oh man, you not, not black no more. Okay. I know. I know. That's why I feel, I was out of town when it came out. Uh, I was working a cruise, and when I came back, I have this thing with, I don't know if you guys have, all right, I'm going to try to say this right. Anytime in the last two years, a movie has come out that can in any way be considered a progressive step forward for a group of people, I feel like if I don't see that opening weekend, it's ruined, because the hype is going to be so much bigger than the movie can live up to. And so now I'm really nervous about seeing Black Panther. Mm, I get what you're saying, but I don't think you should let that deter you from. Yeah, it's a good movie. I think you'll like it. It's made enough money. I'm gonna just wait till it's on Netflix. <laughs> have you seen uh, Civil War yet? I'm sure you yes. have. Boy. Okay, like it's it's that good of a movie. See, but like, I, saw, I saw Civil War on a plane. I don't. I'm not out here trying to support other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I want to see that. I want to see that, and uh, I want to see the wrinkle in time. Oh, yeah! I actually heard that was good. I heard, I heard it was you know for kids, of course, but I actually heard it was pretty good. Yeah, I need to check that stuff out. Yeah, and I, it also like yeah, I should support the things that we've been saying we wanted to see forever. Right. It's just crazy how fast laziness is stronger than my desire to progress the community. You know. <laughs> I get, I get that. No, I get that. I think this new Black Power movement is, is 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 about to be very strong and very dope. And I know you have been probably being being somebody in entertainment. I don't want to speak for you, but it's good to see Black entertainment getting love not only from white people but from the Black community. So strong. So yeah, who is somebody tweeted? Uh, oh God, hold on. Uh, somebody tweeted uh, in the like the first weekend that uh, Black Panther came out. Somebody was like, oh, Robert Townsend sitting at home like, y'all didn't show up like this for Media Man. Like, <laughs> every, like, you know, Media Man maybe was not quite as good as Black Panther. <laughs> but like, yeah. I think like, people like, will talk like, finally we're getting Black Soups. Like, somebody told me that like, there's a, there's a universe in the Marvel world where like, uh, Iron Man is now Black. And they were like, finally, there's Black people in comic books. And I was like, they they have always, you just weren't there for it. Like, that's not there. Like, static. Oh, yeah. I heard about that one. It's a, it's a girl, right? Yeah, it's like this black woman. What? That's not like, yeah, she's like the new Iron Man. Yeah. Oh, I see it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I haven't read have you, have you read it? I haven't actually got a chance to read it. I just kind of seen it when it came out. I actually, I think the new Spider-Man movie, uh, I think he's the black Spider-Man, right? The animated one we seen when he was like mm-hmm. uh, standing on the side of the building with the days. Yeah. In this last one, in the last Spider-Man movie where uh, uh, Donald Glover shows up, it turns out that his name is, uh, his name Man. is Bill or something or whatever. Yeah. What's his name? Ryan, ben. Donald Glover's name is Ben in the last Spider-Man. And he's like, hey. Go fix this community. I've got a I've got a nephew who lives around here, and so I think they were like winking that like Donald Glover might not get to be Spider Man, but it'll probably be Uncle Ben later on. Oh, hmm. that's tight. I still want to see him as Spider Man, but that's tight. Say word, okay. No, I'm looking at this. This is actually kind of dope. Um, definitely forced. I don't know if Black Spider Man or Black Iron Woman. Black Iron Woman, because she looks, I was going to say, she looks extra black, not from the standpoint of her pigment, but like she looks very heavily black influenced. And it was just like, if we were going to go this route, we should have just created a new hero. That's my thing. Why are we making the same heroes and it's just changing their genders and colors? Like, Or if anything... I feel like if you guys are going to make a, a black Iron Man, you could have just went with uh, Shachala's sister from Wakanda. I mean, she's smarter than him anyway. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't even call her Iron Man. You can call her something else. But I mean, technically, she's smarter than his ass anyway. So. I feel like there's, there's like comic book characters that I feel, I feel like their stories would be like, like uh, complicated in like a more dynamic and interesting way if they were... Uh, people of color and then there's superheroes that just like test well that they turn into people of color and i'm less interested in that yeah agreed oh i see what you're saying yeah 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 no i'm not with that either i'm not even sure how i feel about miles and miles been out for a minute 
uh, the black Spider-Man. Oh, um, yeah. Miles Morales. And her name I mean, is I'm Riri like, Williams. Sorry, just got to throw that in there. Williams is the black Iron Woman's name? And then you her name, Riri. Mm. Riri. Riri. Seems pretty forced. All right, see, now we got to look up who the writers are. And we got to figure <laughs> out. Like, because <laughs> white dude writers, that's a problem again. <laughs> that's what I was just about to do. Like, man, who did this? Let's figure out. It seems pretty forced, man. Um, God, I can't even find. Writer's name is Archie Goodwin. No, nope, that's the original one. All right, never mind. Created by Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato. Okay, Brian Michael Bendis is white. I um, feel like you kind of knew that from the name. Yeah, they both white guys. Now we got a problem. I <laughs> see what I'm saying. Like, just don't do it. And then y'all named her Riri like that. that if that, if it was Shaniqua, I'd have been even more upset, I guess. But this is this is just too much. Uh, that's the thing. I think people are. I, I think that's. Uh, I want to make sure I say this. And it, like, I feel like that's something that I'm seeing now. Like, uh, Lena Waithe and all these people are like making a big push for it. But like, I think for a long time, the main focus was like, we need black representation because in order for like black kids to feel empowered, they need to see black adults in power. And so I think there was a big push, like, make the characters black. And I think that's where like a lot of that, like the old school black sitcoms, like, I think like good times and like, uh, 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 the Jeffersons, Jeffersons. And, mm-hmm. with a good different strokes. I think there was like a white guy who was behind most of that because he was like on the right side and the culture was different there. So he wanted to make sure there were black people in front of the camera to inspire people at home watching TV. And I think that now, in part because of all the work that like black performers did on television and film, we're just now starting to see that like to make it actually work the writers and the producers and the directors also need to have a background um, or be people of color so that it can play right when it's on TV. Right. No, I mean, just like a lot of times on TV, like even black characters that I like love watching, you can just tell that they were, they are a white person's idea of a black character. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not an actual, um, D-Ray talked about this. Remember on his stand-up, he was saying that I'm a black hood nigga from Chicago. He was like, and I've came in to do additions for uh, playing a hood nigga from Chicago. He's like, and then you're, you have people who aren't from our neighborhoods. They've never seen, you know, a real drug dealer or a real street guy. And they're telling me, um, we need you to act a little bit more, you know, like, you know, edgy, a little bit more, you know, hood. Like, you know, like, what's up, my nigga? Like, he, like he was saying like that. You, you have white people telling him that. And he's like, you know how weird that shit is to me? He's like, like, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, he was like, I can do this waking up in my sleep because this is me. Right. <laughs> like, did you ever see Hollywood Shuffle? No, I heard about that. That's um, that's uh, the comedy movie with all the parody stuff in it, right? Yeah, that one. And it deals like with a lot. Of, it's like about like, uh, I think it's like Keenan Ivory Waynes and Robert Townsend and all that group, like dealing with those same problems and like going out for auditions. And being told, like, black it up, make it blacker. Oh, that's where the I'm black y'all came from, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm black. Yeah. yeah, that whole movie was, yeah. like, uh, that's funny. A white coworker of mine was telling me about it. Um, <laughs> she said Interesting. It was, she said, no, she was, she's an amazing human being. But she was telling me about 
this movie and how funny it was and, and she was oh. breaking down like the aspects of black entertainment that it was picking on. I think I'm black y'all is CB4. Is it CB4? Okay, but same kind of thing though, right? It's the same kind of yeah. feel or vibe. Yeah, I forgot about that movie. But that's, a, that's a funny one. I think that was like one of Chris Rock's first movies. Yeah, CB4 was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. But yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about um the 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 forced uh it's like when people force the gay into things like yo we just rewrote when this happened we rewrote green lantern and we made him gay it was like we didn't need green lantern to be gay though <laughs> like, like, like that yeah why do we need green lantern to be gay we don't need i hate when stuff isn't on, uh organic man i hate it yes yeah, that's like the this is, i'm always torn with that stuff because like i'm like i gotta go like 50 50 because part of me is like so Green Lantern's gay, and as an adult, if I'm interested in that storyline, I need there to have been a reason for, like, not a, like, not like there's an explanation to why he's gay, but like, what does this do for the character? Does it go beyond we're just saying he's gay? Does it change the dynamics that he has, the way that he sees the world? Are we watching representation of the LGBTQ community accurately portrayed through this character? But then I remember, at the end of the day, it's a fucking comic book. I'm almost 30. This is for children. <laughs> feel empowered through this and that's really what matters yeah you just you just nailed it you just nailed it man because because i don't need at the age of of almost 30 here i don't need i don't need to be empowered by a black woman iron man named riri but yeah maybe some little kid does and that little kid might know not know about the original iron man maybe this is their first introduction to iron man you know what I mean? So, or Iron Woman in this case. So, I, I get it. I'm right there with you, Curtis. It's like, damn, do I really so need... Go ahead, bro. I'm sorry for cutting you off. It's like, do I really need, going back to the Green Lantern thing, for Green Lantern to be gay? Because the reason why, this goes back to my point of create a new superhero, because gr green, uh, in my mind, making Green Lantern gay changes more than just his sexual orientation. It's like, everything's the same. He's just gay. Like, that's not true. That's not going to be the, be the case. You know what I mean? Like, thing, yeah, other like, things will change, and they don't do that. Like, I don't... Maybe his outfit might not be the same because he's thinking differently from a different culture. Maybe... Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, even, like, the Green Lanterns... I mean, I'm not super familiar with, with it, but, like, I think, like, their big nemesis is, like, the Yellow Lanterns, right? That power off of fear. So, like, red. I feel like there's something you could do with, like... Yeah, red or... Yeah, is it red? It's red, and there is something yellow, but I don't remember what it is. Well, like, if, if the colors represent some sort of, like, fear or negative aspect or anger, then, like, what does that do... Like, how do you how do you have the rest of the world's viewpoint? Like, is there some kind of thing you can do with, like, people's bigotry towards a, a gay Green Lantern and that affecting the power dynamics of the colors of fear and hate? Like, is there like is there anything you can do where a character's queerness or a character's race is more than something you slap on? Does it change the world around the character in a way that is still showcasing people's differences and strengths? You know, like a like a. I always wanted Beast from X-Men to be black. Yeah. Because I felt like his whole thing was like, I'm a really intelligent, brilliant doctor, but I look away you're afraid of. 
And I always felt like that would be more powerful as a metaphor if it was a person of color who was like, you don't expect this of me. Um, and I'm also blue, but not black. I mean, maybe that one doesn't work so well. <laughs> like, right. Something like that always felt more powerful than just being like, you know, whatever, whatever. And and you were right. It is yellow. It's yellow. Uh, just to correct it, because we're going to have nerve fans. Sinestro? Yeah, Sinestro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I'm yellow. I up while you were talking. But I know <laughs> what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, whenever you introduce some new aspect to a character, you revamp it, it has to change more than just... It can't be, okay, guys, everything's going to be the same. He's just black. Like, that's not going to work. That's yeah, exactly. not going to work. See, they turned to... Have you, do you guys... I don't know how, how much in the nerddom you guys go, um, but have you, do you guys watch uh, uh, Doctor Who at all? No. No, I hear that's good, though. I hear that's it's, really good. I don't know that I would say it's good. <laughs> it's like a lot of fun. It's like a lot of trashy fun. Mm. But they just changed, I think, for the first time uh, in history, in like however, like the 70 years or whatever the fuck this show's been on there, the doctor is a woman. And like, I really want to watch that just to see how they made a, like, someone who's been a man for like, like if the, the character has been in a male body for like, a hundred years like a, an eternity in the show mm-hmm. and now for the first time they're in a woman's body and i'm just really interested to see how they have that character interact with the universe kind of like what like um like superman's cousin like how she's a woman something like that you think it'll be different like that oh well, i mean I, I don't know about superman's cousin yeah um is it what is what is she Corey? i'm, I'm not like huge on dc um you talking about Kara? Carl yeah, Zoro. she just. Mm. Well, I mean, what's her actual name? Is she Miss Superman or what is no, she? Supergirl. Supergirl. Super yeah, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys out there. I'm not a huge DC fan. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Supergirl. Uh, same abilities to a degree. Um, there was some time mishap to happen. She was actually older than him, and then she got trapped in some some area in space to where time continued to go on outside of it but she kind of stood still and when she actually landed on earth um her little cousin was superman was now a grown-ass man and she was still kind of like the same age so um and then so same concept of superman um just in a woman's perspective but things change as a result of that i love when comic books are just like Ah, we wrote ourselves into a hole. So there's a space thing and something, and and so now it's just this way. <laughs> They're like, can you explain the science on that? Not really. Um, space <laughs> thing. Some shit happened. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I feel like the the X Men movies did that, where we're like, all right, we killed so many characters, so this one Wolverine goes back in time and undoes all the bad movies we did. <laughs> Man, don't get me started on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit i love it i love it man it's it's hard to be a good writer in a fictional fictional world that's why i commend um this is a little left field but like metal gear solid because they oh, jumped yeah. all over the place in that story and it was good every time and it lined up nicely and i felt like there was no like maybe there was a few here and there but there was no like it happened in space. You know what I mean? Like they had a few moments maybe where they were like, well, science, you know what I mean? And it was just like, ah, damn. But it was, it was way better written 
and they didn't have to like necessarily write themselves out of too huge of a hole if that makes sense i liked it writing like that is hard to do though so kudos yeah. to you if you're good at it that's funny yeah and i should say like to the credit of the people that have to deal with all the marvel stuff like that's like the metal gear stuff metal gear was just a video game first right and they just kept it going yeah yeah it was a really dope um i think it started off xavier it started off before playstation it started what, that off, year yeah i think it it's game boy game something i don't uh, know i'm looking up now it wasn't on playstation first playstation is when i first heard about it but there was something before then i think um let's get our research right because i do not it was made in 98 right it was playstation um i'm looking at july 13th 1987 that's what, what i'm the looking hell? at yeah that metal game what was that on uh Atari? Not Atari, but uh, NES? I don't know. But uh, regardless, um, they started off at a, at a certain point. Then they went to Metal Gear 1, which took place in the future. Uh, Metal Gear 2 took place in the future. Then in the third one, they go back. Then in the fourth one, they go forward. Then in the fifth one, they go back. And it's just like, yeah. But it started video game originally um and i don't know what system that was for dope though dope though um but moving right along man um let's go to well we're at first and foremost we had 98 minutes and i feel like we got some good chunks of conversation in there um didn't mean to 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 scare you there uh curtis when we had to research all good and shit but um yeah my bad man if i caught you off guard i know i asked you some questions he was like uh no, it was like just <laughs> like didn't i mean i guess i don't really pay attention to what lingers out there when you throw it out online so i was just surprised you guys could find that out that was crazy <laughs> it's like we get extra personal that one time you masturbated in the third grade you had a picture of like <laughs> whoa whoa playing whoa <laughs> like, that's on the hell you man yeah, no, nah, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. I think we touched pretty much on um, everything that you've gotten into, and and man, definitely congratulations on everything that you've been doing. Yeah, from man, the, for sure, man. From the writing on Comedy Central to the Device Land Flop House stuff, man, I've been super excited to see what you'll come up with next, man. And if you are ever in Chicago, man, please, I know you didn't take me up on it in Grand Rapids, but I'm serious, man. I know how the comedy world can be. It's tough. So if you need a place to stay to do some shows in this area, let me know, bro. For real, for real. Thank you. Yeah, I never made it out to Grand Rapids. I know you told me about that comedy festival. I still want to check it out, but I just hadn't had the opportunity. And then, I, I, I mean, I would love to get to Chicago at least once this year. That place is amazing for comedy. But uh, we'll just see with work and everything when I get out there. But I appreciate that, man. And back at you on the success and everything, dude. I know. Like when you moved up to Michigan, it was like a huge deal for everybody, and everybody was real happy because you were like, you, I mean, you you also are in pursuit of this kind of, you know, attainable but also kind of an odd career goal. So it's been great that your path has steered you in the right direction, and I'm glad that you're in Chicago now and found a better place that suits you. And uh, Xavier, I don't know you very well, but I, I'm glad that you analyze data and that that makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
it helps me in other parts of life, dog. I just put it, I just leave it like that, man. But I'm definitely happy to speak to you, man. It's cool, you know, seeing a seeing a brother do his thing, man. You know, keep up, keep it up, bro. Yeah. That's all I can really say, man. I know y'all industry is is very different, so keep it up, keep it up, dog. For sure. Thanks. Appreciate it, bro.